renew. Woo! Cool, new camp. If you haven't met me before, my name is Lauren. I was part of Blueprint from 2010 up until more recently, when in 2018, 19, we, no, 2018, we um, officially started Lyle Bay Community Church. So it's like staring at you, You're like what? But it's really cool to be here, it's cool to be with everybody. Um, I'm usually up here with a guitar to hide behind, but um, not today. I kind of volunteered myself for this gig because I have something I've really been looking forward to sharing with you guys. Um, so the theme of this weekend is fullness of life, or like freedom from sin and shame. The unofficial byline we came up with in our first little meeting was kicking shame in the balls. So <laughs> that's what we want to do this weekend. Um, <laughs> freedom from shame. It's possible and it's here for the taking because of what Jesus has done. Jesus offers us fullness of life. In John 10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So abundant life, when we talk about fullness of life, it's not like a beach in Fiji where you're like sipping a cocktail. What it means is relationship with God that is unhindered, freedom from the power of sin, and death and its effects in your life, and the Holy Spirit alive and dwelling in you, to overflowing. That's fullness of life. Can you give us those three one more time? A relationship with God that is unhindered. Ooh. I've got lots of like three, three pointy things. Yeah, really There's like so many. <laughs> Freedom from the power of sin and death and its effects, and the Holy Spirit alive and dwelling in you, to overflowing. Mm-hmm. I'm sharing about this stuff this morning because I decided to follow Jesus when I was three. It's like in, in my dad's notebook. And I got baptized when I was eight. It was just like an outrageously precocious church kid. But I really struggled with sin and, and this beast called shame in my life still. Somehow it just like got its claws into me. Brene Brown describes shame as an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And where there is shame, you're just going to find sin. Shame could be from something you've done, or it could be from something someone has done to you. Or you might not know how shame got there, but you're just deeply ashamed of yourself in some way. So what's happening here? If I'm a Christian, how am I still struggling? We really need to have this. <laughs> but, it's like, but it's true. Like you're like, cool, oh, I'm saved. But then it's like, but ah, I'm kind of like still. Um, oh, the way Paul puts it, I think it's in Romans seven, is that I I've got a desire to do good, but the things I want to do I don't do, and the thing I hate doing I keep on doing. Um, and that there's he's like, it's not me, but it's like sin alive in me. So it's kind of this uh, this thing, and we just have to hold this now, but not yet thing in our minds that we're saved and that the kingdom is here and then it's coming but we're kind of like still still both things exist in our lives all through the new testament we learn that we sin and yet we're new creations and so both these things are true at the same time so let's start by talking about sin because sin is at the root of this all so what is it exactly and where does it come from scripture points to three things there's our nature the enemy, and the world. Sin makes its 
sassy debut in the Garden of Eden, in the story of Genesis, when God tells Adam and Eve that they can eat fruit from any tree in the garden except for one, or else they would die. When Adam and Eve were tempted by a serpent to eat from that one tree, the serpent told them, you won't die, you'll be like God. They were deceived into thinking this would be a good thing. (laughs) I'm glad you find that hilarious. Um, But in free will, they chose it, and they lost this unhindered relationship with God. Sin and death entered the world, and this is what happens when we decide we want to rule our own lives, when we want to be our own gods. We end up living lives according to our selfish desires at the expense of others. And we have an enemy the spiritual being called the Satan or the accuser, because that's what this enemy does. He accuses us and condemns us, uses all his power to ensure that we stay in the prison of sin and of death and of shame. The enemy uses sin to deceive us and without the spirit in our lives, we can think we're doing right, but we're doing wrong. Something can seem good, but not be good. Sin screws with our ability to make good judgments. To add to this, if we are following Jesus, we are fundamentally at odds with the world. And to clarify, this doesn't mean the earth or people in the world. It means this. 1 John 2 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, And the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. We are bombarded with this daily to find fulfillment in meaningless things and to find our worth in what we have or what we do. We love talking about grace and justice, but when we hear the word sin, we're like, it's pretty uncool and it's not trendy to talk about, but we need to go there. In fact, if we love what God loves and if we love other people, and if we, desire, if we desire to see this world liberated and reconciled to God, then we should be like kind of pissed off about sin <laughs> and pissed off about its presence in our lives and in the lives of people that we love when we look around when we can see the destruction it causes. Because sin is what is wrong with the world. It's at the heart of all the suffering and evil that we see. It's in every broken relationship. It's in the brokenness that we have in our own lives. When scripture says sin leads to death, it's both literal and metaphorical, it's killing us. St. Augustine says that sin is like having a chronic illness, but you can't diagnose it, let alone cure it. And all the treatments you're trying are not working. If you've ever lived with the agony of an undiagnosed disease, then you will know how awful this is. You know something's wrong, but you're powerless to fix it. I have a friend who lived with celiac disease undiagnosed for years, and it just wrought havoc on her health and completely messed with her life. But when she got the right diagnosis, she was stoked. It's like this Facebook post that she reposts every year from like five years ago. I'm so glad I found out I'm celiac because she finally got the diagnosis that meant she could do something about it. You can finally get on with your life and begin to heal when you know what the cure can be. For fullness of life to abound, the power of sin and death must be broken, pulled out at the root, completely undone. 
The liberation we need must be the kind that can go to the very depths of our hearts and transform us. So when I argue that freedom from sin and from shame is possible because of what Jesus has done, I'm saying it's only possible because of what Jesus has done. Because all the counselling in the world, and I like back counselling hard, (laughs) isn't going to get us out of this mess. Sin is in us, it's around us, and heck, it's out to get us. It's no surprise then that we struggle. We need a restored relationship with our Lord, but we need him to do the restoring. We need a new nature to become new creations. And since we can't do this on our own, our only option is to just be given it. And we need power, like supernatural power, the power of the Spirit of God who has overcome sin and death to be with us and in us so we can live as light in the hurting world. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is what his death and resurrection gives to us. He overcame sin and death and he is offering fullness of life to anyone and everyone who wants it. So now we find ourselves at the crux of the matter. If the work has been done for us, why are we not yet free? So I'm going to tell you how we get there. We're going to start with accepting God's love and grace. And then we have these three tools, if you will. Conviction, confession, and repentance. Kind of like our um, freedom toolbox. First, we accept love and grace. We believe what Jesus says. He loves us. He died for us. He's rescued us. And he's offering fullness of life to us. And we don't have to earn it. This is really a whole other sermon, and I'm going to try and hit more of this later this afternoon. But the main thing here is that if we want it, we just need to accept it. And it's ours, which is really wacky, but it's true. God has done this bit, which is like the heavy lifting, to be sure. But these next three, conviction, confession, and repentance, require some participation from us. And this is how it all happened for me. I want to tell you about something I have struggled with for years, which has been a source of immense shame in my life. As a teenager, I discovered erotic literature online, which is like porn in book form, I guess, and became addicted to it. If you've ever struggled with something like this, then you know that you can start off rather tame and end up places you never intended to go. I kept my habit a secret, fearful of anyone finding out about it, and in my secrecy, shame grew. After a few years, I decided that reading erotic literature had to go. I made a decision never to read it again, which wasn't that hard because on average, it's just terribly written. (laughs) But by then, well and truly, I found sexual fantasy a very easy place to escape to in my mind. And that was something I was not able to stop with all the willpower I had. So I came up with a couple of theories. One was that I had like a demonic presence in my life making me think these things. And the other was simply that I was like a pervert, a person with a sick mind. And this was just the way that I was. Either way, it was clear to me 
that no one could ever find out. The only option was that I take this to the grave with me. I had thought from time to time that I might quite like to marry one day, but the voice of shame would say to me, who would want you? Some days I would think, ah, I'll just live with this. You know, after a while you tend to get used to your dysfunction and your hopes and expectations for life are lowered and you just settle. I think, at least I'm not hurting anyone. But it was hurting me. I was ashamed but also fearful. Mostly I put it out of my mind, but every now and then I would be gripped by this paranoia at a prayer meeting or a church that somebody might get a prophetic word about it and expose me. <laughs> um, which never happened. <laughs> Thank goodness. And for the record, um, I don't have a prophetic word about anyone's embarrassing shame places. <laughs> I don't know. I can't tell. And I prayed. Ah, oh, man, how I prayed that God would just make it go away. As I was praying one evening, hopeless that things would never change, I heard the Lord speak. He said, this is why you need my grace. That was so profound for me and not what I, what I was expecting to hear. I think I understood grace properly for the very first time at that moment. I've grown up always believing and always knowing that God loved me, but now I knew that God accepted me. I didn't need to make myself good. Jesus had done that for me. I wasn't yet free, but God was not holding my sin against me. And it's why I decided to get these two key tattoos, like on my wrists. Can you see them? The ones there. You know how if you have a tat, people will always ask you the story of like, what does it mean? I've told no one this story. No, just like, oh, freedom, you know. <laughs> you know, something that really blew my mind, though, was looking back and seeing God's love and grace toward me well before I was ready to face my shame. He didn't wait for me to sort my life out before he blessed me. I've seen God answer my prayers, provide in crazy, miraculous ways, bless me with a calling to worship leading, like me, the pervert. It's like, why God? And to, to call me to start Lyle Bay, I, I've heard God speak to me, and give me prophetic words. I've had words for other people. God is not a holdout. You just need to know that if you've got stuff that you're carrying. Like, God is just going to keep blessing you if, whether you're ready to face it yet or not. I knew I was loved and I had received God's grace, so when I finally experienced conviction, I could handle it. Conviction is realizing, like, clearly and absolutely, like, this is bad. This is sin. This is so wrong. I've got to get free. It's when you're convinced that you can't keep living the way you've been living because you know it's not what God made you for, that it's actually robbing you of life. A revelation I had when I received grace was that being a sinner did not make me bad. God made me, and I bear his image, and he says that I am good. Love and grace calls us back to who we were created to be. When you think I'm bad, that's not conviction, and that's not God, that's shame. So that is, those things are different. Conviction happened for me just over three years ago as I was almost, but not quite, dating Rowan. I had been to see some friends one evening to talk it over and kind of get their two cents, and I'd gotten into the car to drive home when I remembered 
this secret shame that I couldn't let anyone know about. And God spoke to me again, and he said, are you ready to face this? And I mean, I really did want to date Rowan, so I finally had some motivation to like, deal with the stuff. I was like, I don't want to take this into a relationship. Ugh. But also, I was sick of shame, and I was sick of secrecy, and I wanted to be free. And I knew that God was not forcing me. It was a question, not a command. The words came in total gentleness and patience. Was I ready? I was. I felt God's presence, God's presence with me, and I knew that he was going to walk with me along the path of healing, however rugged that was going to be. And I don't know why it took so long to get to that point. All I know is that I simply was not ready to face it until that moment. I knew what had to happen next. I needed to confess. I needed to tell someone. The thing is, God does give us a way to be free from sin and shame, and that's through confession. I mean, I really would have loved to sort this all out on my own, privately, <laughs> and I now realize that that was never going to happen. Freedom would come when I stopped keeping my shame a secret. I've got more to say about confession this afternoon, about how we do that together healthily in a community, because it does put you and others in a very vulnerable position. Um, so you want to be wise about it. Anyway, I just went whole hog and told like 15 people, because I just wanted to get it off my back, hey? Like, safe people. I was careful. I was, I was... But I, you know, I didn't post on social media, but I, I hit up specific people who knew me well, who knew Jesus, and I was like, oh, tell these people. Um, not my parents, though, yet. <laughs> and I was psyching myself up for things to be really awkward, but it was actually fine. It was more than fine. Shame and the enemy had been telling me a lie this whole time. I knew I had God's love and acceptance, but I never realized how much I needed it from my community. You know how there's that thing you like, oh, God loves me, but God's infinitely gracious, and people aren't like that? So it was kind of this fear, but man, I needed to confess. And when someone actually said the words to me, you're not a pervert, I felt this heavy weight fall off me. Confession is a beautiful, powerful, liberating gift. Conviction, confession, and now repentance. Repentance means to do a 180, to go in the opposite direction you were going before. It's like the action that you take after you've had the revelation. It's not like groveling. That's just what we call groveling. So I decided, <laughs> you just like don't mix it up. Like we have so much baggage with some of this terminology, but this is groveling. I decided I'm going to get prayer and I'm going to tell my counsellor. And so I went to Elijah House in Lower Hutt for prayer ministry. And some of you might be familiar with that, but some of you might not. Like a bunch of people who like trained to kind of lead people through like super gnarly stuff. Often there's like a dodgy spiritual stuff happening there. Um, and so I went to see them for like, we spent like a couple of hours together. I was 95% certain that I had a demon. And I told them everything, probably too much information. Because <laughs> I just had nothing to lose, you know. I was like, let's just do this. It turns out I didn't have a demon. <laughs> but, you know, like, don't want to belittle that. But it was just, I just had that in my head. And to my total surprise, they ended up praying for me for an emotional wound of rejection from way back in my childhood. 
like rejection. I had no idea about that. I told my counsellor and she worked with me on figuring out this whole sexual addiction and rejection mess and what felt like a huge, impossibly tangled knot that could never come undone. This became this much smaller, manageable, more logical thing. I had been hurting deeply, but I didn't realise. I didn't know or understand until the light shone on it. If you have a way to avoid your pain, chances are you will, but at what cost? You might think that escapism into sexual fantasy isn't that bad, but it was death to me. I had problems I never faced, anxieties I couldn't deal with, conflict I avoided, and terrible self-beliefs. And then this lurking secret shame. When I experienced conviction from God and I started confessing, I did it for the freedom, but Jesus was offering me more. I was changed. I was transformed. My relationships were changed. I learned better strategies to cope with my struggles. I could stop thinking of myself as a hopeless case, stop feeling inadequate. I began to have this fullness of life in a whole new way, and I had no idea what I had been missing. I just could not imagine what was on the other side until I got there. For as long as I live on this earth, I know I'm still going to sin. I'm still going to be tempted. I'm still going to struggle. But I can stand here in front of you today and confess the very thing I thought I would take to the grave because of what Jesus has done. And that's how you kick shame in the balls. <laughs> Mail in the coffin might be when I send this recording to my parents. <laughs> Done. God is so faithful to us through all the mess in my life before I was ready to face anything. God offered relationship to me, the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, and when the time was right, freedom from sin and shame for this particular thing. He never held back, and I know that. One, the one who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. 